The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. Shannon Penrod and we're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. It's Wednesday. So thrilled that we have Dr. Doreen Grampache back with us this morning. She's going to be answering your questions live in just a moment during a segment we call Ask Dr. Doreen. But before we get to that, we want to remind you that this entire show is meant to be interactive. We want you to participate with us. We want to hear from you, hear what your questions. We have a lot of questions already this morning, but keep them coming. Uh, we're going to remind you all the different ways that you can participate with us. Emily's going to show you some of the different ways you can be watching the show or asking your questions. I will remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, lots of things to do and see there. Make sure you sign up for the free newsletter because we're giving you lots of good information, some recipes, and even some coupons coming your way when you sign up for that free newsletter. But also you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show there. And to the side of where the show plays, there are a couple of white boxes. If you put your cursor in the box that says your question, you can start typing and hit enter. It will show up here on my screen within about two minutes. It's totally free. You don't have to log in. No one's asking for any private information from you. No information at all. In fact, we don't know who you are. So if you want us to get back to you about something, make sure that you include some way that we can get back to you. We won't share that with the audience at home. How's that for a deal? All right. I hope you'll participate. This is an opportunity opportunity that you don't get any place else to hear from experts, to be able to have almost a conversation in real time with Dr. Doreen Grampache. It's really an amazing thing to do. So without any further ado, it's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpiche. Dr. Grandpiche. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche. Dr. Grandpiche is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here and we welcome back a new bride, oh, Dr. You. Doreen Grandpache. We, we saw the pictures and I was just saying to you, she looked beautiful. She looked like she was 16 years old. <laughs> I'm you. chartreuse with envy because <laughs> they could do a lot of things to me. I would never look 16, but you did. You Thank look you very, very much. happy. Thank you. We wish you nothing but the best. Thank you very much. But of course, we're thrilled you're back. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who are watching for the first time, Dr. Grandpache is a true expert in the field of autism, been working 
with individuals on the autism spectrum for more decades than we really want to remind people since you look like you're 16. <laughs> uh, and truly is a visionary in this field, is Thank able you. to see things so far ahead to be able to help us and connect us with the information that we need. She's here today. She's going to answer your questions. But we like to remind all of you at the start of the show that no one on our show can answer child-specific or individual-specific questions. Uh, it would be a disservice to that individual. But having said that, you help us, provide us with information that really is so pivotal. Well, at the field of autism, it's so difficult to find the right resources, you know, and I hope that here we can just address some of the needs that people have and guide them to at least find the right resources. Absolutely, and you do that for us brilliantly every week. Much, We're yeah. thrilled to have you. So I'm going to jump in. We've got so many questions, and I've made it my business today that we're going to get through tons of them. Okay. All right. So first one, hello, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. My child with ASD will be four next month. He is limited verbal, uses some sign language. Every day I deal with lots, all in capitals, of tantrums, screaming, hitting, mm. uh, hitting everybody by punching a lot, kicking, throwing anything, trying to break things in the house. I used to give him a timeout in a special place, but he started getting up to go after anybody to hit and punch. So I started putting him in the crib until he calms down, but he destroys the bed, removes all the blankets, and takes off his clothes and diaper while he's screaming upset. The minute he calms down, I get him out, and he has to pick up the mess he did, but I can't do the same when we're out, and he decides to kick, hit, and scream. I'm out of ideas and very stressed dealing with two with ASD. Uh, he is on a full-day program with therapies. He needs a lot of redirection, and I have lots of problems with transition. I'm using PECs, too, but he gets aggressive when things change and when he can get and when he can get his way I think it's when he can't get his way but it says can get his way so I might be wrong she says please help I'm going out of my mind and right. thanks like I can't even imagine it sounds like such a difficult situation so I think it would be very important uh, I, I mean I'll address this situation and give you some guidance but I think that it would you would benefit also from going on our IBT site Institute for Behavioral Training, um, which is ibehavioraltraining.com, and um, look for uh, a module on that teaches you about uh, what ABA is and how you address behaviors. Because uh, you know the old, the very old kind of thinking about behaviors like tantrums and so on was well, it's a bad behavior, we need to punish it in some way, and uh, the child will learn not to do that behavior. But ABA changed quite a bit over the last decade, three decades or so, and the, the concept with behavior is no longer, let's just take a behavior and punish it, it's not at all that. And it's much more now, you really have to understand the function of the behavior because the function leads to a different type of intervention or different type of treatment. So. Now let's take that concept and apply it here. So several things about your child. Your child is um, uh, tantruming, aggressing, doing all sorts of behaviors. And <clears throat> the real question is why? Why does your child do that? And you have to try to find out the reason why your child does that. And the, the way we do that as behavior analysts is we do what's called a functional assessment or analysis. And the functional assessment 
tells you exactly the function or the reason for the behavior. And the way you find that out is essentially you look and see in, under what circumstances do these behaviors occur. So I'll give you the basic examples. Uh, he becomes aggressive in tantrums when something is taken away. Okay, so that's a, what's called a tangible function. That means he's trying to gain access to a tangible object or to some activity or something. He's trying to gain access to something he can't get. And that's why he's hitting or aggressing. Okay, um, if that is the case, then there's a particular type of intervention for that. It could also be he's trying to escape a situation. So for instance, he, you tell him, you know, it's time to go to bed and he'll throw a fit or um, we can't, we have to go in the car and he'll have a tantrum or whatever it is. So he's trying to escape or avoid that particular situation. Now th those two will have completely different interventions. Yeah. Um, you can't just go ahead and timeout is truly not effective. If, for instance, another function could be that he's trying to get attention. Yeah. He's just doing this because that's his way of getting attention. And if you put him in timeout, uh, let's say you're putting him in timeout when he wants attention. Well, the whole process of trying to get him and put him in timeout and so on is negative attention. So he's actually gaining what he wants partially from it. Mm -hmm. um, or let's say he doesn't want to do an activity, like he doesn't want to go in the car and he throws a tantrum and you pick him up and you put him in the crib and now he's in timeout. Well, he has now gained exactly yeah. what he wanted, which is he didn't want to go in the car. So he's avoided that whole pro situation. Yes, he's going to um, you know, be upset in the crib because nobody really wants to be put in an enclosed area. And so he's going to be continue his tantrum. But you're, the, this is not the right way to deal with it, which is why it's probably ineffective. So, I mean, I, I'll give you some guidelines, but honestly, with, with a situation where you have two kids with ASD and you're dealing with severe behaviors, um, you really need a behavior analyst to be able to help you and teach you what the reason is for these behaviors and how to deal with each one. And very simply, if, if the child tantrums when they're trying to gain access to something, what you do is you block access so you make sure the child does not receive the thing they want based on the behavior. So if I, let's say I want to gain access to a toy, okay, and I throw a tantrum, you, what you want to make sure happens is that I still don't get that toy. By yeah. throwing a tantrum, my tantrum is not an effective way of communicating. So I tantrum, great, you can tantrum, but you're not getting that toy. In right. fact, I'm going to put that toy away so that you know your tantrum didn't work. Or let's say you want to gain, you want to avoid going in the car or avoid something like some environment that I'm asking you to, to go into now what I will do is make sure that you actually go to the environment so instead of putting you in timeout I would take you to the car and make sure you you realize the, the mess the key thing is for the child to realize that their behavior their inappropriate behavior did not work it wasn't something that communicated to you because you see this is something I've said several times on this show aggressive behaviors, challenging behaviors, tantrums, hitting, throwing, whatever it is, is just a form of communication and the child can't 
vocalize and say, no, I want, because if the child was vocalizing, they'd be like, no, I don't want to go, or no, give me that toy, or whatever it is. Yeah. But our kids are not vocalizing that. Instead, they're hitting, and it becomes effective, because in many cases, if you hit another child, you get their toy. Yeah. If you throw a fit, mom and dad will give in, because what else are they going to do? Yeah. So the very the key thing is that you kind of need to be doing the opposite of what you're doing in the sense that you need to find out exactly what is your child trying to gain by having this behavior and you do the opposite it's yeah. just that simple you don't allow them access to the object they wanted you do put them in the environment they were trying to avoid if they are trying to get attention you completely ignore it those types of things that's what a good ABA teaches you is that, oh, this is what he's trying to achieve. Yeah. And instead, um, you teach the child some basic communication so that the, the whole concept is having a challenging behavior or maladaptive behavior is ineffective, but here's a way that you can communicate. You can use a PEC system, you can vocalize, you can point to objects you want, you can go bring the objects, whatever it is. And this is the way that you can communicate, and not by key. having behaviors. That's Absolutely. key. Not, not letting them have the thing that they wanted with the challenging behavior, but giving them a way that they can have it in a different way, separate Absolutely. from that moment. Absolutely. Because if you don't teach them a, a more appropriate way or more adaptive way, then the child will revert to behavior. That's yeah. just a natural thing. Everyone will. Yeah. You know, this has nothing to do with autism. By the way, behaviors have nothing to do with autism. This is like a very interesting thing that people don't realize. People think that children with autism are generally just, you know, tantruming and badly behaved or whatever it is. No, it has nothing to do with it. It's not even a symptom of autism. It's just a side effect of not being able to communicate. Yeah. That's it. It's just a result of not being able to communicate. Now, so the, another important thing is you mentioned here that your child has some language or mm -hmm. some speech. I really, really strongly recommend, and he's four, I strongly recommend that you get an intensive, high-quality ABA program for your child because if he has some language, he has the potential to learn language and speech. I don't know how much language or speech he has, so I can't comment, but when a child has some vocal ability and is only four, I would really be pushing the language. And even if the language does not come in, then I would really give him a very significant other form of communication. Make a decision. It could be sign, it could be PECS, picture exchange communication system, it could be reading, it could be a multitude, it could be an augmentative device, whatever it is. Pick one and stick with it. Okay. Don't do a whole bunch of different things like, oh, half the thing, you know, five things you can communicate with me vocally. You know, five things, you're on a PEC system, and then you know three signs. That's extremely, you're teaching your child three languages. Okay. That's not okay. Pick one. Um, my preference always with vocal kids is to use visual programs like a PEC system mm -hmm. and the vocalization because I'm not, really ready to give up on the vocalization. Right. Um, I, sign is okay, and some kids are pretty good with sign. It's just very limiting uh, because, you know, you're, you're the person that you're communicating with has to know sign as well. Right. So those are the, the basic feedback I can give you. Um, you know, I really do recommend that you get professional help because 
your child sounds like he might have much more potential than you're actually tapping into because you're dealing with so much behavior that you're kind of locked into that right now and it's understandable because you know like as you always say you when the whole house is on fire or something yeah when your kitchen's on fire, fire you got to you got to deal with the fire yeah, you do but you know the the positive side i guess is that behavioral issues are minuscule for good behaviors to deal with they're tiny this is not a big deal all of these behaviors can come under control uh, you the, the other big part of a, a effective behavioral program is that it needs to be kind of around the clock and when you have when it's just you and you're dealing with the other child and you have to take your both of your children out to the community you just don't have the resources or the ability to be able to be consistent with behavioral techniques all the time this is why we have 30 40 hours of intervention a staff of four or five therapists on each child because what's, what they do is they make the environment completely consistent so the child learns I'm never going to have get away with something. I'm never going to be able to tantrum and get a toy. I'm never going to be able to tantrum to avoid something. I might as well give up. And I will learn now a better form of communication, and it happens much more rapidly. Yeah. yeah. And I love what you're saying. You need help. You definitely need help. That doesn't make help. you weak. Um, that makes you in a position to potentially be really strong. But you need to have some help. I don't know anybody who could do this by themselves. I couldn't do this by I, myself. I, and I I've done I this. And let me tell you, I've treated thousands of kids for 30, over 30 years. I could not do the behavioral program for two children uh, by myself. There's no way I could do it. It's just, it's not something that you're capable of doing. So please get help. And it sounds like, I mean, you said you have some therapies. I don't know if you just have speech, perhaps OT or something. You need an intensive ABA program. Your child is still in the early intensive behavioral intervention age. Four is still considered a very young age where you should be doing a completely intensive, which means 25 to 40 hours, and I would push for the 40 hours in your in your case. And I'm not sure that it's just the other child that's getting therapy in terms of how the question is worded. So okay. both children need to be getting therapies right. and all these things that right. you're talking about. And since you do have some therapy, you can be asking them to find the function of the behavior because that's the beginning right. of, of being effective. And you we, have to know the function. And we don't know where this family is. We don't know uh, what part of the world you're in, but if you're, if you're still watching with us, this question came in this morning let us know what part of the world you're in um, because it may be that uh, it may be that we're in that location yes. or we're near that location or we can set up remote services for you and it may be that you're in a state that has insurance coverage so that you can get the 40 hours of therapy at no cost to you yeah uh, and if you're out we've got new news about the direction guidelines for Medicaid uh, around the country so more and more people it looks like are eligible uh, for services Which so don't give up all right uh, I'm gonna move on to the next question here uh, hi Shannon and dr. Doreen I'm trying to decide whether to keep my son in a specialized preschool or change to a top typical preschool we just completed the VB map and he is on the level two because of his social skills. This area was the lowest. My ABA is also doing the skills, uh, but since she has mainly used the VB map, she was able to get this done a lot faster. My question is, can skills give me info on if a typical preschool might be a good fit for my son? 
Does the parents say the age? Uh, we don't have an age. But yeah. it's preschool, so I would so imagine very, you've uh, got to be under the age of five. So I can't give you, like, a, that level of guidance just because I don't know your child's capabilities, but I will try to explain my uh, decision-making process when it comes to integrating our kids into school. Um, my process is personally, so let's say uh, preschool is what, let's say three, year, three or four years of age. I don't know if it's first year preschool or second year preschool. So typically with, in my process, what I try to do is I try to get my kids as young as possible so that I have uh, the I have a full day to, to work with them and that means I try to get the child at two if I get a child at three I'm not going to put them in preschool right away I'm just not I'm going to be uh, focusing that year on just one-to-one -one intervention and uh, the reason for that is that I want to give the child enough of the preliminary early skills that when I integrate my child into preschool, the child's successful. So, uh, and in my mind, there are certain key skills that need to be there. So for instance, and we won't go broad and just say language and social, but it's mostly in the areas of language, social, and executive functioning. So in terms of executive functioning, there are certain things like awareness, just being aware of your environment, being aware of your peers, um, having the ability to model from others, uh, and having the ability to sort of, uh, I guess, uh, change your behavior based on what you see in the environment. It's called observational learning. Uh, those types of things are very important to normal development. The second thing is I want the child to have a certain level of basic speech so that they can understand when a teacher says, everybody line up, you know, go get your boxes, your lunch boxes, or this is how, what I want you to work on, or go to this station or the other, or so on. Um, as well as, of course, some uh, ability to understand what peers are saying. Mm -hmm. And then I want my child to have, in terms of social, I want my child to actually know a few ways to interact you know so one is obviously it's like a child a small child will say something like hey guys let's go on the monkey bars or whatever let's who wants to do this or you know something like that and i want the child my child to have an understanding of that language but then also to be able to understand some social things such as you know this is how i join two other kids who are playing these are the things that are appropriate or this is how I can go ask another child to come play. Um, you know, when if the teacher is yelling right now, this is not a good time to go ask her something. Mm -hmm. I mean, some very basic social and executive functioning features. Um, VB Map is not going to address any of these things. It simply doesn't have that level of complexity in it, or doesn't go to that level in terms of skills. You will find some of those things in skills. You will see uh, some of the very early uh, areas to teach in executive functioning and in language and social, or maybe even also play uh, domains. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at those areas, you'll see, if you answer the index, the assessment, you'll see all the areas your child is below on, mm -hmm. and then that'll take you to the lessons, and then you should actually just sit there and look at the lessons yeah. and say, okay, yeah, he can't do this, and this is a pretty basic age one or age two lesson. I mean, skills takes you, tells you the age of the lesson. 
and I think this would be very beneficial. So your focus is just preparing your child so that when they're in school, they're not lost, um, they're not bullied, they are successful, they find it an enjoyable and reinforcing environment. Because if you mess that up, turning that around is gonna be difficult. Yeah. And this is the next 12 years of your child's life. Yeah. They're gonna be in school. So it needs to start out on a positive um, uh, footing. And oh, by the way, once my child has those key skills, the way that I integrate is always with a one-to-one -one shadow. I will never just put my child in preschool and say, good luck, you know. I will always have, and I'll start with fewer hours. So I'll typically start with three days a week, maybe three hours each day. Mm -hmm. So it's like nine hours a week um, that I'm integrating my child into school with a one-to-one -one therapist who is called the shadow. And the therapist knows how to do their job and they're there to help the child understand, to help the child initiate interactions, to help the child follow the directions that are they're supposed to. Um, they're there to get other kids to play together with the child. They facilitate everything that goes on, um, sort of like a support for the child, a shadow. And um, then I gradually increase the duration of time in school, maybe five days, and then I will, over the course of the next two to three years, fade off my shadow. So I will always have someone with the child um, so that the child is definitely successful. The, the whole process of the shadow changes, as you know, Shannon, yeah. and it becomes over time, you know, someone who's helping the teacher quite a bit and is not just there for my child. And then over time, it even becomes an unknown shadow. So we'll put a therapist in school where the child doesn't know this therapist is there for them, but is there to help them. And um, so it's a very important thing that you do school integration correctly. Um, you know, there's a lot that goes on even at the preschool level. And I know a lot of parents want their kids in preschool or in kindergarten because they want the social interaction. But you know your child better than I do, obviously. I don't know your child at all. Will your child integrate and interact successfully just by being around other kids? It's very rare that that happens. So first give your child all the tools they need and then make sure they have assistance when you put them in that situation and then all should go well. And then in terms of whether you choose to be in a specialized, specialized or... or right or regular ed. and thanks for bringing that up. So that really has to do with your child's capabilities. There are certain benefits to each environment, obviously. Yeah. The regular education type of environment, you have to be able to keep up and you have to not necessarily need a, a large amount of attention, right? Because we're talking anywhere, depending on what state you are and what location, uh, we're talking anywhere between, you know, 10 to 21 or 22 kids in the class. And so it would be very important to uh, recognize that if your child really does need one-to-one -one attention, you, the ideal situation for me is you put them in a regular ed preschool with a shadow because there they have models of very appropriate behavior from regular ed kids and they have their own one-to-one -one attention. Now many states, many schools don't allow that and so then your, your only choice is regular ed or special ed and then you have to really think about how much support does my child need if your child needs a lot of support and a lot of help, then you're looking at special ed. And if you look at special ed, then the next issue becomes how much bad behavior is around my child that they can model from. Yeah. So you really always want to shoot for 
you know, if you're putting your child in, especially, I do want to make sure the other kids don't have a lot of behavioral issues that your child could learn from. You want to make sure you have a very strong teacher who can handle. I mean, I've seen special ed classrooms, I have to say, where there's a lot of severe kids in the classroom, and the teacher is spectacular yeah. and has complete control over the classroom, has a token system running, is the classroom is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So really, that has to do with the particular situation. Even my own kids here at CARD, when I see children and the parents ask me this question, I'll never answer that unless I have a supervisor who can go out and do an observation of all the environments that are, that are options. Yeah. And it really has to do with the best fit for your child. All great advice, because I think it's as much to do as your child as the, the setting. The setting, because, absolutely. You know, I mean, you it varies some, so different. Totally. Just like regular education yeah. classrooms, some are fantastic and some are awful. And it is hard when you're a parent, you go and you view it, and you're seeing it at a time when they've set up for you to see it. It's very hard to know. But I will say this, is that, you know, you, you make a choice based on what your team says, what you see, and you can always change it. I always forget that as a parent, that if it's not working out, I can always change it later on. Very true. And the other unfortunate thing is that most people in this country don't have a team. Yeah. It's all on you, you know, and it's very yeah. hard. So I, I hope that you have a team. And when we refer to team, it means your ABA supervisor and your therapist, and perhaps you have a speech pathologist or occupational therapist or so on. You should have a team because it really does take a village to raise kids. It certainly does. I used to say it took a small city. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back with more of your questions. Keep them coming in. We'll be right back. Talk of Facts. Welcome back. I'm Lisa Ackerman. I'm here to help answer some of the most common questions uh, that come up on your autism journey. And this one's my favorite one. I'm out of money. What do I do? Um, well, I've yet to meet um, any family with autism that maybe once had money. By the time autism is rolled through their lives, their money is pretty much uh, uh, gone to the wind. Um, so what I always like to tell families is we've spent a great deal of time on a whole on a budget series, real life, you know, practical guidelines for every situation you'll come across in autism. The series includes everything that you need to know about therapy and who pays for what, autism insurance and healthcare reimbursement tips and tricks. There's an entire white paper on that. Uh, let's not forget medical intervention unique to autism and the common things that you need to do and how you can get those uh, common comorbid issues covered through your health care insurance plan. Yes, that's possible. Some of the other great uh, on a budget series also includes, you know, how to homeschool your child, what to do if uh, schooling is not currently working out within the school right down the street. And the last one that's the most important to me is how do you feed these kids um, all of their allergy friendly foods without going bankrupt? Well, that's easy. Um, the last and most important paper Taka wrote was how to feed a family of four um, on the autism, gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free diet for $320 per month. We know how to do it. Um, we've assisted families uh, living on food stamps, and so we know the resources. 
And then we also provide some great tips on what's available through public assistance and also what are the current grants available through ACT Today or other foundations out there serving the autism community. We keep a current list. Currently there's over three dozen national organizations providing financial aid for families living with autism. So if you're out of money, don't let that be the barrier for success. TACA can help you with our entire On a Budget series at the TACA website, tacanow.org, and we'll see you back at the next TACA Fact. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampuche is here answering your questions in real time. So thrilled to have you back Thank with you us. So much. And uh, I'm going to jump right into another question. Hi, ladies. My son is 50 months old. He twirls his hair to the point. F I'm sorry, 50? 50. 50, okay. So which is, the years. math is always hard for me on that. Four years, two months. Okay. okay. Uh, twirls his hair to the point that he has knots in it and now has some bald spots. We are just starting ABA, and she seems to think it could be a stimming behavior. The school thinks it could be him using it as avoidance. He has communication and is potty trained. He is talking more each day, but mainly behind in social skills and communicating. Can you give me your thoughts on what this might be and what we can do to help him? Um, I, you know, I'm going to throw something out. I don't know your child. I can't give you uh, this is, it's not something that every child does, but when, and in the ABA, you know, when we refer to self-stimulatory or stereotypical behavior, that basically means nothing. It means it's a repetitive, stereotypical behavior that, ha that is where the function is not really uh, an external function. It's an internal function. So in other words, we don't know why the child does it. That's sort it, of the... It may feel good. It may it replace may something. Right. It, you know. Exactly. So now from my own experience, I would say, uh, so first of all, in, in typically developing adults, people do that, right? They mm -hmm. do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a very, um, I guess it's a a mild version of indicating um, something like anxiety. So it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, people chew on their pens, mm -hmm. they chew their nails, they twirl their hair, mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff. And I would say uh, it's a habit more than anything else. And it's a habit that has perhaps developed for a sensory process that was calming. Mm -hmm. um, it could have been, um, you know, there's there are some psychological disorders called trichotillomania, which basically you pull out hair actually and, and that a lot of people do that and um, it's just it's a it's a anxiety reducing behavior that becomes a habit so I'm not sure if that is the case but um, that's something to consider the way that I would treat that is very very simple I would actually give the child um, some object that replaces that behavior. And unfortunately, we have a ton of objects that you can use. There's, uh, if you go into online and you look for sensory um, toys, um, there's these uh, little, uh, I don't even know what they're made of. They have, it's rubber on the outside, inside is some sort of a very soft metal. Mm -hmm. And actually they are for, you can bend them. I think they're called bendies or I don't oh, know. Oh, oh yeah, benderoos. Yeah, so benderoos or something. You can bend them, you can twirl them, you can do all sorts of fun stuff like that. And um, in fact, they have the propensity to bend, to go around, like they're like a coil. Right. And they will go around your finger much like your hair would. Mm -hmm. And so that might be 
that might be something that can give your child the same uh, sensation as twirling hair and if it is an anxiety type thing then anything you give your child in their hand will actually reduce the anxiety because it so competes is, with it right you can't it, twirl your hair and play with something well, in your hand absolutely and also just as a treatment for anxiety having an object to play with mm -hmm. is something that reduces anxiety I don't, it, like in the in the old days in the Middle East and I think even the Far East and so on men would always hold uh, what is sort of the equivalent of rosary beads, uh -huh. you know, and they would play with it all day. In fact, right now, even if you go to the Middle East, um, they do. A yeah. lot of men have like a necklace type thing and they'll uh -huh. just hold it in their hand all day long and they will move the beads over. Yeah. And that's completely normal in that part of the world. Yeah. If you do that here, people would be looking and saying, what is that? <laughs> so. But my point is that, yes, you're giving your child something that would keep their hands busy. Mm -hmm. It would have a very similar sensation and it would be perfectly fine because once the child gets off the hair onto this object, you can actually teach the child to put the object in their uh, pocket and use it only at certain time frames. Okay. So in other words, you're re redirecting the behavior to another stimulus and then you're shaping the schedule so that the, the stimulus is only used when it's appropriate, the, the other object that you pick. Um, you, you might have to rotate objects a little bit until you find something that does interest your child. But now when you do start the intervention, you will now block the hair. You won't allow the child to do the twirling of the hair. Every time they do that, you'll replace it with this object. Uh, in fact, you might even want to replace it with the object all, at all times. Um, so that's basic. It's a, it should be a reasonably easy thing to do in terms of changing the, the stimulus. Um, and I wouldn't be too worried about it because kids develop a lot of um, obsessive compulsive behaviors, a lot. All kids, not just kids on the spectrum, they go through um, a phase of life where at different ages, typically somewhere between, I don't know, three, four, maybe two, eight, nine even, or even later, maybe even 15, where they are kind of different things in the universe uh, uh, grow in their minds and in their imagination and they fear it and in order to calm themselves they, they develop patterns of behavior and they, these could be things like checking you know the closet and the door and this and making sure they're safe or it could be uh, looking at an object ten times. As strange as these things sound all kids do these things um, or it could be you know, playing with hair or chewing their nails or whatever it is, and I wouldn't worry about it too much, okay. but you can replace it because it sounds like it's very concerning. I'm a little concerned about that the school thinks it might be avoidance because then my head goes to what is he avoiding? And I, if we're talking about a four-year-old, they're probably doing some crayon and some, you know, pencil and those kinds of things. Right. If, um, aren't there some sensory things that she can get, like there's those pencil toppers Absolutely. that make a pencil more right? exciting? Um, there's the, the likelihood that a twirling of hair behavior is an avoidance type behavior in my mind is low. Okay. I don't think Great. it could be an avoidance. I, you'll know right away if it only happens when a demand is placed. Okay. Does it only happen when they ask him to do something with paper and pencil? Okay. Then it could be avoidance. And if it is, then you realize that 
the demands that the demand that is being placed on him is anxiety provoking or somehow very difficult and which is why he's avoiding it and they can easily uh, intervene and just basically model for him and make it a very short period of time and then increase the time okay. frame that he works but I mean that's the only that's the only way that it would be avoidance if he okay. doesn't do it under any other circumstance great to know okay wonderful uh, gonna move on to another question what's the difference between OCD and routine slash inflexibilities kind of goes hand in hand with this right when would it be appropriate to get a child assessed for OCD so uh, OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder um, anything that is considered a disorder or is called a disorder has to be to the point that it interrupts or disrupts normal functioning so um, you could have someone who's very very organized in fact I always say a certain level of OCD is healthy right a certain level of anxiety is healthy if we did had zero anxiety and zero obsession about you know uh, things being the right way we'd be lazy stay at home and never do anything or take care of ourselves so uh, it, something becomes an actual disorder only when it's disruptive to your normal life and the way that's defined in normal life with a child would be they're functioning amongst peers at school um, and within the family with adults it's uh, kind of w at work and within your family so you know the example I often give is it's not because if you you can drink you know uh, 10 bottles of scotch a day as long as you go to work and you treat your family well that's not considered uh, alcoholism or any kind of alcoholic uh, um, disorder anything or even uh, dependence um, but with with OCD generally OCD develops to the point that it is quite disruptive so people are for instance uh, having to do the compulsive behavior so much uh, that they can't do other things so in other words uh, you know the obsessive compulsive is this you have an obsession which is in your head and you do a compulsion which is the behavior that you do in order to calm the obsession that's how OCD functions so uh, I think I might have left the stove on um, I have to go back home and check it and that becomes to the point where it's not once but it's ten times and it prevents me from even leaving the house or I think I have germs on my hands and I have to wash them and they're not getting clean so the compulsion becomes overwhelming and takes over your life now with our kids the way they exhibit OCD is stuff like as I mentioned sometimes our kids are experiencing anxiety OCD is a reaction to anxiety just also something else people should know so sometimes they're experiencing some anxiety and they'll do things like I don't know um, you know they'll check or they'll want to make sure this is a common thing that our kids do which is some of our kids that are perfectionists about something mm -hmm. they won't write or do their homework because it's just not perfect enough I have to redo it I have to redo it and so if you keep redoing something you're gonna fall behind from the rest of the class you yeah. can't let it go and that is I mean this behavior increases as soon as stress level and anxiety increases it is so tied into uh, stress it's you know being the need to do things perfectly that's just an example of it so unless your child's at a point where their compulsive behavior their ritualistic behavior is uh, really holding them back then from everything then they don't have enough of the symptoms to call it OCD nevertheless you could have 
let's say, one or two symptoms that are beginning to approach a level of severity that are concerning, and that would be inflexibility, uh, you know, insisting on routines that make things inflexible. And I'll give you an example. Um, so, you know, uh, my daughter wants to go on a trip or something, and certain things have to be a certain way in her backpack or in her suitcase. Well, you know what? That's fine, because she can do that, because it gives her a sense of, I'm organized, I know where everything is, I can pull it out when I need it, all this sort of stuff. Now, if she spends a ton of time worrying about how perfect is this, what if I can't access it when I need it, um, and this causes her undue stress and, and emotion and anxiety, now it's becoming a problem. Now she really needs to work on just chilling out and calming down about it. So that's kind of the answer, like, you know, the inflexibility and those types of things that we observe in our kids. We try to treat it at that level because we don't want it to become a pattern that is so disruptive to their universe. Great. Uh, wonderful. I'm going to move on because we have so many questions I want to sure. get to. How do I motivate my adult daughter to keep her room clean? It's a mess. She has plenty of time to clean it, but would rather sit in a chair and drink coffee. Any ideas for me? I've tried a token <laughs> board, but it doesn't last. Thanks for your advice. I think this hits so many questions. How do we get somebody to care about something they don't care about? <laughs> that me, we care about, I, right? Yeah, I should go home and implement my own advice now on my on my <laughs> 13 year old there we go you know so I, it's a it's a matter of um, what was it that I did with my 13 year old right before we were leaving I'm trying to remember because she cleaned her room up like spectacularly yeah. I think it was just pure cash okay I think it was like you want to go shopping I will give you like $50 if you clean your room completely and it happened in 24 hours so and it was like two in the morning and she was cleaning her room, you know? So I think it's just a matter of exactly what you said, Shannon. It's, it's uh, making sure that the, there's some value is attached to the end result. So for your child, they don't, they're not interested in having a clean room. So why, why are some of us interested in having a clean room? Well, we like how it looks. We feel better in it. Um, we're proud of ourselves for having accomplished that. Um, we're embarrassed about it when it's dirty. Um, we like to make our parents proud. There's, there's a lot of reasons why we, some kids do this on their own and others don't. The others who don't, um, here, here's where they're coming from. I don't really care if I have to walk over all my clothes. Um, it actually, clutter actually makes me feel a little bit more secure. Um, I am, I don't, I just, I'm not motivated to do anything about this because so what if it's clean? There's no big di difference here. Um, I seem to get an, the same amount of love and attention and rewards from my parents, whether it's dirty or clean. So it's sort of, those are the things. So what you do is you establish a reinforcer that is powerful and that will differ for each individual. So for your child, it might be um, hey, you're not going to get any more coffee until you clean your room. I don't know what your child's <laughs> reinforcers are. Right. Uh, but for every 10 items of clothing you put away, you can get a cup of coffee. There you go. Tomorrow you'll get another cup if you have 10 more items that you put away. You have to find something that is motivating and reinforcing for the child. My son right now is taking summer school for three courses that he needs, that he wants to finish that are advanced placement courses. And I said, you finish these and you'll get um, 
will get you the car that you want because he's at that age now. So it's sort of, you know, it has to be a powerful, meaningful reinforcer for the individual. You got to get them where they live. It's the thing, the yeah. thing that they want more than anything else. Okay, skills question. Many of the skills uh, involve the child giving a verbal response. Can skills still be used with nonverbal students? If so, do I just skip the verbal skills altogether for now and hope that they can be taught later on if, if or when my child speaks? No. So yes, and a lot of skills, so this is how you, if your child is nonverbal, um, they have a way of communicating, right? It's either PECS or it's sign language or it's AUG device, you know, typing out things and so on. You, that's their language. That's their vocal. If you've decided that's their vocal, then those um, means of communication advance just like language does, just like speech does. So I wouldn't skip. The only lesson that you're going to skip is echoics, where we're teaching the child actual vocal pronunciation of the words, enunciation of words. But everything else that's in the language lesson that's an expressive lesson can be done also through a non-vocal modality. So for instance, I ask you, what is this? And you can't say pen, but you will, let's say, type pen, or you will point to the icon for pen, you know, those types of things. So um, the, the language, the speech of a non-vocal child is their communication modality. And I, I'm fairly certain, if I recall correctly, when you're doing that initial assessment, the, the questions that you ask before you get into the assessment, right. if you talk about um, the child being nonverbal, you're automatically directed to what I remember is a sheet that gives you some guidelines of what to do when you're working with a child who's preverbal or nonverbal to work on those lessons. If you have trouble finding it, make sure you write me back and I will have one of the skills people hook you up with where that is exactly. Right. And also, um, that's thank you for saying that that is a very important point and that's actually two points on that one is that that's why in in ABA we don't refer we don't even say nonverbal we say nonvocal because yes. vocal and verbal are quite different and yes. so any kind of expressive uh, any expression can be nonvocal as well and also um, you know having said all this we do also guide you in skills in regards to the first six to 12 months of things you can do to try to get the vocal to work. But if you're past that stage for sure and you're onto non-vocal communication, then there's a ton of modifications. And I do also recommend that you go to IBT yes. and look at the uh, visual modifications module because it will give Great you a idea. ton of ideas on how to use stimuli in the environment that uh, are allow your child to express. Yeah, it'll be very eye-opening. Okay, moving on to the next question. Hi, my son is four and just started ABA. Our BCBA just observed my son and said he is a different person at school. She said he was quiet and withdrawn at home. He's social and very talkative despite having a language delay. He doesn't have disruptive behavior at school, um, but does twirl his hair. So I think this is the same child as before. Uh, my son is constantly social with uh, with. Uh, with oh his peers i think with oh. other peers in fact he is not very social oh without his peers he's not very social with peers right he seems to have a, a period where he is talking like crazy and very aware uh, to not very aware and zoned out help is just hmm. help is this just part of autism and will this get better with aba a lot of different questions there yes. so um i guess from 
just things that are red flags in my head. First thing is, if you have a drastic change in behavior that's cyclical, so not not associated to different environments. Like I, I couldn't tell in the beginning. I thought, okay, so there's a little bit of difference. There's a big difference in the child's behavior when he's at school versus home. That's very typical. That is 100% normal. That's to be expected of any child. Um, and it's good. It's actually a really good thing. I, I prefer that because uh, it shows that your child is aware and embarrassed and I love that because embarrassment is a very hard thing to teach yeah. so the fact that your child is aware and kind of like just aware of himself and like thinking what are these you know I'm, I'm not sure how I can socialize I better not mess up here or what are they thinking of me all that stuff is awesome because you could teach that stuff and you can just kind of teach him to integrate with his peers and so on and it, of course we're going to be more social at home we're much more comfortable at home and it's also normal for kids to be much more social with adults than with peers, our kids, children on the spectrum, because adults help moderate the conversation. Adults are all over you. They reward you. They get in your face. They make their sentences simple. Other kids don't do any of that. Other kids are, you know, they get fed up with you if you don't catch up and they'll leave and they'll make fun of you and all that sort of stuff. So it's very normal that he's, uh, he's much better with adults and he's much better at home. All of that can and should be um, a part of your intervention with ABA. Um, but if you find the section that I, that, that I think concerned me a little bit is this whole, sometimes he's extremely verbal and social and other times he's extremely aloof. And if that's not environment, environment specific, but it's just a sort of a cyclical pattern in his behavior where he has highs and lows, then I would probably want to go see a neurologist and try to make sure that I'm not, I don't have other issues going on. There's maybe, uh, you know, there, you could, for instance, sometimes children have subclinical seizures and right before the seizure, they become extremely aloof and kind of just cautious. And we don't know because we never see the seizure right. and you won't know what's going on with him. But I want to make sure his physiological state is not causing him to shut down or isolate. So you just want to check on his health, essentially. you got to rule some things out. Rule some things out and, and not to worry you in any way, but rule some things out. But honestly, what it sounds like to me is... He's just reacting to his environment, which is great. And uh, you should have a therapist or an aide teaching him these things with him at school, and he will improve. Definitely. Okay, great. And then please be in contact with us and let us know what you find out. We appreciate that. Okay, uh, I'm writing because we are card clients, and thus far none of the BCBAs on my son's case have been successful at all in terms of getting him to reduce his scripting. He will go on and on and on and fill the silence almost any time he's not actively speaking to someone. Can you offer some new ideas? It's truly does appear that he's just filling air with the sound mm -hmm. and he doesn't do it if he's actively listening to a TV program music or something along those lines thank right. you it's my pleasure and if you are a card client then I would appreciate you write back in to Shannon give your information so that I can actually look at your child's case that would be good because I can easily pull up their skills accounts I can talk to your supervisor I can give some direct contact with uh, to your child and to your supervisor, I'd be happy to do that. Right. Uh, so, if he, if if you really feel like he's, uh, um, you know, just trying to fill space, then there's two things that I would suggest, and it's possible your supervisor's already doing this. But and I don't know your the capability of your child, but 
what I would do is I would actually give him in two uh, well two things first I would give him a number of, of um, vocalizations that are appropriate that would be fine to, to fill space uh, so for instance uh, normal social communica communicative types of statements like uh, how was your day what did you do today and again I don't know your child's age functioning level or anything like that but uh, it's funny there's a you know all typically developing people uh, feel uncomfortable when there's silence and they try to fill it with language uh, and we often will fill it with appropriate social little whatever you know the statements like oh and the weather is good yeah right? how's the weather today that's a, that's one it's hot of today isn't it, it hot, hot enough hot for today. you hot, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so you know all of those things are possible things to do but at the same time you want to teach your child that there are certain scenarios where he just needs to be comfortable with the silence and that's a simple shaping procedure so on the first and you want to have like maybe five or ten statements that can be used as fillers that are appropriate so they're not scripts and if they are actually scripts then you modify the script so like if he memorizes the five or ten statements you give him they just give him variations of it and once it gets to 20 or so he'll start modifying them I promise you that because kids don't want to memorize 20 exact things right then the next thing is you actually shape up uh, silence periods and you can do that very easily you can use a one-minute egg timer you can start with a 10-second timer on a phone and what you you tell them the goal is to sit quietly yeah and um, you increase that to you know a normal uh, depending on your child's age again um, there, it's not a very high level amount of time that children of a certain age will stay quiet uh, you know some kids and you don't want him to stay quiet for too long anyway but you know look at other children his age or let me know and I'll let you know what's appropriate and then you will basically try to teach him a combination of the two so you know we're now quite and you can your supervisor should easily be able to actually put them on a schedule like this and say oh so we're doing first the you know 15 seconds of silence and then one statement and then 30 seconds of silence and, and I know it sounds very rote but it's really just teaching the child what's socially appropriate because you know I, in certain um, cultures you silence is tolerated for hours in other cultures there is no silence I mean and that just contrast let's say the Japanese culture to the Italian culture right. there's quite a difference of how much interaction social interaction and silence occurs so this is very easy to deal with or I can I'd be happy to consult with whoever your supervisor is okay great uh, one of our favorite viewers um, who is studying to be a therapist himself wants to say congratulations to the doctor thank you and he wants to know how can you get a teenager going into the eighth grade to start believing in himself oh yeah that's really tough so one of the things I would say is uh, find something that the individual is good at you know I look at my kids and I have three children and they're all extremely different and they all have completely different capabilities and I'm their mom right so there's absolutely no, I mean, yeah, both of my daughters are very good at art, but they have completely different strengths. And you have to find the individual's strength. And this could be anything from, you know, the basic things that we look at, like athletics or music or, I don't know, I'm going to list, you know, photography, art, um, comedy, uh, writing, reading, whatever it is, mm -hmm. to, you know, 
obscure things like some kids love to do things like knitting yeah. you know who cares? origami origami whatever it is but find things that the individual is good at and uh, really really help them uh, establish a level of excellence in that thing so that they feel they have something they can always turn to um, and that they're better at let's yeah. put it that way we so all need a superpower we do we do and we need to have something that we believe in ourselves yeah. um, that gives us a sense of comfort you know that this like this is a good example I, I have abs I've never had and I never will have or I never probably in the beginning I did but you know I, I don't have any anxiety about answering any question that has to do with autism whether it's an, on this show live giving a speech about it doesn't I could do it in my sleep right because I feel that I know what there is to know yeah. right so essentially you you get the individual to a to a level and I, let me tell you this changes lives like I've had kids where I've told the parents you know, why are we ignoring the fact that he's got this incredible uh, sense of music? Let's put him heavily into piano. And a year later, the child will come and they're playing like, you know, concerts. Mm -hmm. And I'm just astounded at their skill level. Um, there's so many kids that have like hidden talents that we just have to develop. Okay. And they just have to get reward out of it. And that will help improve their self-esteem quite a bit. We're totally out of time, but uh, we had somebody who did want to know when they wanted to ask you specifically, when is the Center for Autism and Related Disorders book coming out? Oh, well, thanks for reminding me. It should be coming out next month, I think. Right. So, I mean, we're, it, we've submitted it quite a while ago, and I think they had told us August. Okay. And then we did have a question about, uh, specifically about Chicopee, Massachusetts, but I know a lot of times people will write in and want to know, where What's... can we get card? Uh, so I, I just want to take a second and say the, the first best thing to do is to go to centerforautism.com, right. click on the locations tab. You know better in terms of how close you are to things. If you see that you're within 50 miles of an office, you can absolutely call the 800 number and start the process of having that office. But maybe if you would take just 30 in seconds. In Massachusetts, we're in Plymouth and Woburn. Um, and we uh, most likely will probably expand even further. In states where there is coverage, we get, tend to get a lot of uh, families. But having said that, we also have remote services. So if you're yes. not close to one of our offices, you just still get in touch with the admissions at 800 and they will refer you to remote services. Remote services is where we we actually send you a supervisor and sometimes we're even able to get insurance to cover all of this so even the travel and accommodations mm -hmm. so the supervisor will come over evaluate your child uh, set up a program we will hire and train therapists in your area for you they will be card employees working with your child going through all of our training and that means we'll do that even if it's just one child and the uh, supervisor comes back and forth and also um, does Skype with you and sees you, your child weekly. And, um, you know, that's also an excellent way to go. Absolutely. So all of those things are available to you, but go to the center for, go to centerforautism.com to start all of that process. And I'm so sorry that we are out of time and that we don't have ch a chance to get to all of your questions. We're working as hard as we can to answer as many as we can, but thank you so much for being My here pleasure. and providing My this pleasure. information. Lots of fun. Nice to be back. Well, we're going to take a break and go to the A word now. This is an ongoing documentary 
documentary being made here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And we get to see how this intensive behavioral intervention happens in his home. It's just an amazing, amazing tool that you can use in so many ways. When we come back, we'll be joined by Nancy Allspot Jackson for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We've got some amazing guests today. Of course, we have Vince Redmond, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's going to be talking with us about violent behavior uh, and self-injurious behavior and the toll that that can take on a family. We also have two wonderful guests that are going to be with us, Olga and James Pineda, who are having an amazing event that's happening uh, a little bit later on this month that we'll be talking with you about that I think will give you some ideas about things you can do in your neck of the woods. So all of that after the A word. He's a happy, fun kid, and he was a happy, fun kid when he was diagnosed, too, and I don't think at the time we really understood that you can be happy, fun, and still have autism. He's sort of giving us a hint that uh, we don't need to worry so much that he'll, he'll conquer whatever it is that he's dealing with. Uh-oh, that could be interesting. Oh, no, the duck fell. You're okay. It's okay, buddy. Daddy will hold it. Let's try again. I know that it's very important to him, whether he knows it or not, that he has both of us in his corner. So for the dads, that's all I would say is be in his corner, do the best you can, and if you screw up, just be involved. You're gonna make mistakes, but just be involved. It's not gonna go away, and, and quite frankly, you're way more valuable to helping him than you think you are in the beginning. I, you know, there were times I thought I'm useless, and that's gone away. really clever now. More creative when he's playing. He solves little issues or problems that get in his way and he just smiles a lot while he's doing it so we think he's enjoying it. Jessica's first attempt in teaching Jack Riley how to gain attention. At first, Jessica tempts Jack Riley with an item he wants, then prompts him the entire way so he can practice and learn an appropriate way to gain attention. Look, do you want the fire truck? Look, what I have. Do you want it? Yes. Okay, do this, look. Say, Jessica! Good job. Try again. Ready? Ready? 
As Jack Riley learns how to gain attention, Jessica's prompts will fade until he does it independently. You're welcome, Bruce. <laughs> you want to try again? I'll try again. Okay. Yes? What do you want? Yeah, what do you want? My cake. bad as it gets and you know we've caught it then we're great I think what I didn't realize is that there's always going to be new things that he's gonna encounter there's always going to be new behaviors that he discovers and that's part of being a kid as well as the mm -hmm. autism no Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. And I'm Good so morning, thrilled friend. to be here with you. Uh, and we have been talking, you were with us yesterday. Yes. Uh, and you, you came to join us. We were talking with Lisa Ackerman about a, a, a case that's been in the news that's really been kicking all of our keysters. Yes. Uh, 11-year-old boy with autism that his parents have been arrested because they were keeping him in a cage. Yes. And you've been working very hard to try to get some help and assistance because it's all good. We can all talk talk about it, but Nancy yes. actually tries to get something done, which we love about you. And yes. uh, you've been trying really hard. Any yes. update? Yes. Well, I just want to say that I, I, I want to uh, give a shout out to Regional Center in Orange County who have responded to me and they have said that they will pass on our offer to, uh, to give a grant to this family or to the boy directly for intensive behavior therapy that will help with his aggressive, self-injurious behaviors, which apparently he has. Yeah. And um, however, he is now in foster in a temporary situation, which might make it very difficult for us. But I also want to thank Lieutenant Dunn, who um, it was the officer in the case. It's now been handed over to some detectives who I'm working with, and we're hoping to get the boy care and treatment. The authorities seem to really want to help. Uh, we haven't managed to get through yet, but we're yeah. still working on it, and I'm, I'm determined to get this family help. And you know, it's ironic that sometimes the people who need the help the most, it's the most difficult to give them the help. Yes, yes. And and that we're we've you've seen before yes. that with the foster care system, once a child goes into the foster care system, it's very difficult to work the channels to get the help 
to them that they need. Yes, and, and you know, but we understand that that sometimes Department of Social Services has to step in. They want to remove a child from what could be a potentially Absolutely. very dangerous situation. Uh, it does make it more difficult, though, for Act Today to give a grant once the child is not with the parents. Yeah. So we'll keep you updated on this, and let's all hope and pray for the best for this young boy. Absolutely. And we're very excited today that in just a few minutes, we're going to be joined by Vince Redman, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Although, on top of that, he's also somebody who has extensive experience working with individuals on the spectrum uh, doing ABA therapy. So he can see both sides of that coin. And we've asked him, we were going to talk with him about traveling and all yes. the things that you do on vacation. And we changed our minds because of this story. And we're going to be talking with him about what happens to the family, because this is not just this 11-year-old no. that was having issues. This affects an entire family and how things start to degrade when there is violence and when there is self-injurious behavior how it eats at the very core of the family. So we're going to talk with Vince about that and how, what we can do. And Cher, really, you know, you've had you've had experience yes. with this, and so have I. Uh, Wyatt and Jim both had um, behaviors, aggressive. Both, both, I, I, I assume that Wyatt had some self-injurious as self -injurious well. Self-injurious and very aggressive. Um, early in the days of his diagnosis, I used to put makeup on my arms to yeah. hide the scratches. I was in shame. Uh, I didn't talk about it. Now I talk about it because yeah. I want families to know you are not alone. Yeah. You know, I call it the kitchen floor club. We've all yeah. been down on that kitchen floor. Uh, praying for help at times. So you and I have been there. So oh, I think yeah. it's really important for us to share that. Absolutely. Jen used to hit me in the head like fist yeah. and hit hard and and I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, emotionally, I could not was, handle it, it. It's so tough. Wyatt was a biter and a scratcher. Mm. And um, anyway, we'll talk more about that. And we're also going to be joined by a really remarkable young couple who have started an outreach ministry at their church. And they have an Autism Awareness Day. Uh, this Saturday, uh, July 19th. Is that this Saturday or next I don't Saturday? Think it's, it's the week after. A week after. Okay, that tells you how in touch I am with dates. <laughs> um, it's the week after this, and um, very excited to share th their hope for families that yeah. they've found and they're helping others. And I think what will be lovely is for those of you who are in the area that you can talk about going to this, yes. but if you're not in the area, I really wanted to give you some ideas about what's possible, what you can do where you are, how much difference one person, or in this case, two people right. can make. Right. So okay. uh, very uplifting. We're gonna be back with Vince Redmond after these messages, stick with us. If you're watching Autism Live, chances are you care about the life of someone or perhaps many people living with autism. You spend countless hours trying to make a better life for them. It may not have been easy for you to watch the show today. You know, sometimes you could be juggling so many balls in the air, you feel like a circus performer. I remember recently saying to a friend that as the mother of a son with autism, plus all the other challenges in my life, I feel like I'm carrying a tray full of glasses of water, and that if one of them topples over, the whole thing is going to go crashing down. This empowerment moment is all about you. Now, I'm not a doctor or a therapist, but over the last nine years in my autism journey, I've learned some things that have helped me shift from being a victim to having hope. 
See, I'd been in that place, down on the kitchen floor, on my knees, praying for answers of what happened to my child. I'd been in that place, covered with blood and tears, after one of Wyatt's giant tantrums, where I said, where has my fairy tale life gone? I have a feeling you're a member of that kitchen floor club too. It's been a process, but I've come from that place of being a victim to becoming an advocate for my son Wyatt and for many others as the executive director of ACT Today, or Autism Care and Treatment Today. Let's start with reframing the way you think about yourself and your child. I want you to say after me, I'm an activist. That's right. I'm an activist because just by watching this program, you are taking positive steps to make the world a better place for your child or someone else living with autism. You are a positive force of action in the world. I want you to start thinking of your so-called disability as an opportunity because it's within our challenges that our greatness is revealed. That's where we find our courage and resiliency. And parenting a child with autism is one of the greatest challenges a parent can face. You have the choice to see this as a journey of self-discovery. Some people take expeditions to climb Mount Everest to see what they're made of. You don't have to travel that far because parenting a child with autism is an expedition of the soul. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy and I are so thrilled that right now joining us via Skype, our, our regular Vince Redman, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, is joining us. And as we noted before, Vince is also, beyond being a great resource because he's a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is somebody who spent extensive years, I'm thinking double decades, right, Vince? Yeah, Working 21. with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. Uh, so amazing resource mm -hmm. to have both of those things. It's just, it's, uh, I don't know that there's anybody else who has that power packed of, you have, you have superpowers, Vince. We, <laughs> he's our superhero. Combine two different worlds. Yes. And it's two worlds that need to be, uh, put together because a lot of times we need help and support. And as right. we were saying before the break, we've had this, uh, story in the news about the 11 year old whose parents have been arrested because he was put in a cage and the parents who have a limited ability to speak and understand English have, have said that the reason why they put their child in a cage was because there was violent behavior towards the other members of the house, the other siblings and the parents, and that there was self-injurious behavior, that they were doing it to protect themselves, to protect their children, all of their children. And of course, it tears at our hearts. Of course. Sure. Um, and, but we really wanted to talk today with you, Vince, about when we have violence and self-injurious behavior in a family, uh, it, it, it does a lot of things to the family. So let's start with what do we need to understand about violent and self-injurious behaviors and how it affects the family? Well, yeah, absolutely. And it does affect the family in ways that we, we don't know. In, I mean, this, this, I mean, look at the extreme case here of, you know, what families are, are, 
doing to try to control their children or, or to stop the injury to other family members, other siblings, other, you know, uh, uh, elder, elder, you know, uh, uh, you know, family members in the house. You know, I've dealt with several families that have had, you know, very you know, aggressive children where the, the rest of the family were, were being injured or were being traumatized on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's extremely challenging, extremely, you know, uh, traumatizing to families and they need support. They need supports not only from agencies like us, but supports from the community, supports from neighbors, supports from their church, a lot of supports to be able to help them in, you know, being able to, to not only professionally de-escalate you know the child's behaviors and learn how to work with them and give them parent trainings and give them you know education and tools and skills to be able to work with this but they need emotional support from their community and from their families they need support to be able to help them get through this because this this is not easy and and you see you know you see extreme cases like this where families take extreme measures because they just don't know what to do and it break like you said earlier it breaks my heart that no one had reached out to them earlier to to give them the you know the help the education the skills that they need yeah just to just to clarify something though Vince um, I have been told by the regional center in Orange County that the family was offered services so that was directly from the regional center now yeah. as to whether right. they understood we don't know that and we're not debating that case at this point we no, are no. yeah we're trying to we're trying to separate sort of some of the the myths yeah. from the reality sure. and uh, would you say this is fairly common with uh, uh, children on the spectrum let's say moderate to severe that they do have aggressive behaviors or self-injurious behaviors um, to, to various levels yeah I mean I think you know uh, each each um, family is different and obviously each child is different you can have self-injurious behaviors be classified as nail biting to the point of injury or squeezing to the point of bruising to actual hitting kicking biting and more of the you know severe behaviors that that you would think of when you think of aggressive or self-injurious behavior head banging um, you know uh, uh, those types of things but it is actually more common than than not yeah so families are not alone um, well well, for families who are watching and and really experiencing this right now, Vince, um, what what do you recommend they do? I mean, they may be saying, "Okay, I have this situation. What do I do?" And I think that kind of dovetails back into what we were saying earlier with the, with the regional center is having them reach out to the regional center, and that's great that the regional center was involved. But like I like I had mentioned, not just to the regional center or not just to the school district. Reach out to as many different you know, people that are there to help them. The regional centers, their doctors, their churches, their school district, um, obviously the, the, you know, professional agencies, helplines, you know, support networks like TACA or Autism One, you know, Autism One. I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of different people, different systems, different avenues to get support because each supports in a different way. And I think you guys definitely understand how vital all of those different supports can be. Um, and again, I think it's it, it, it can become very challenging. It can become very overwhelming for a family because they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to get through the day. And this is where you know, you, you, you want to make, you, you, we want to give them everything, you know, and I feel the same way you guys do. I want to give them everything I can, every resource under my, under my hood to help these families. And I just wish there was more, uh, 
education to to all the families um, to to know how much support there actually is in their community. Yeah, and I think that's so important. You mentioned so many different resources. Um, you know, for those that you know, obviously we reach a lot of viewers that don't have regional center. Uh, there are other places, and we had Lisa Ackerman on yesterday yes. from Taka, and Taka is a wonderful, wonderful organization uh, to go to to find a parent support group. There are other um, autism uh, organizations. I think autism. autism society has parent support groups this is so crucial that parents realize they are not alone as Shannon and I both said we lived this situation and um, I personally found a lot of support from my church community um, and one thing I want to say is shame we have to get rid of the shame because it's not something to be ashamed of it's not something you've done wrong as a parent this is a very common situation when you have a child on the spectrum and you need to let others know you need their support right Shannon yes and and I will say I will be really honest that for me when I had said before Vince that Jem there was a period of time where he was punching me in the head and I did have shame about it but more than that I had fear I had fear that if I said something to someone that something was going to happen and maybe that they would take him away from me. I honestly had that fear. And the first time that I, I came to uh, a clinic at CARD and I said to my supervisor, I need some help. I need some help. And, and I, and I soft-pedaled it, yeah. right? Because I had fear of what they were going to think of me, what they were going to think of him. You were afraid that if you tell your friends, they're going to think your child is a monster. Same thing with me. I used to put makeup on my arms to hide the scratches and the bite marks, and I wouldn't tell anyone. Um, and, and and for me, it escalated to the point that the next time we came to a clinic, I came in and I said, I'm not leaving. I need you guys to hear me. This is bad and something bad is going to happen. And I don't know what it is, but I can't, I'm at breaking point. I can't take this. And I got immediate swift help. Um, right. But you do have to get to the point where you're honest. You have to figure out who you can trust and, and maybe help us with that, Vince, about who do you say what to and when? In, you're exactly right. I mean, the the, the shame and the in the in the fear of not knowing what is going to happen, I think, paralyzes a lot of our families, and 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 they they don't they don't. It, uh, especially early on, I mean, it's different when when we've already are involved and integrated well into into the family. But early on, they don't know who to talk to, what to say, what not to say. Be honest. Be honest with the, the difficulties that you're having. Be honest with how hard it is. You know what your child's doing and how you're having a hard time dealing with it. Honesty leads us to better solutions. Honesty will lead us to the right solutions. You know, not just card. And again, all the different you know all the different uh, you know resources we were talking about want to empower want to give you know skills build skills build ways to deal with this build ways to make it better we give you more power in in the situation it's it's not about taking the kids away or finding someone else to be able to do it it's being able to assist the family and being able to to work with their child be able to work um, with the behaviors be able to change the behaviors so that you know you know everybody's lives become better everybody's lives become more enjoyable and we can you know we can move forward from there um i think but the biggest thing is honesty is being honest with where you need help what is your child doing and then this way you know any any of the resources can then have you know a better results with resolutions that that's so important the honesty because i i don't know about you shannon but i found that once i allowed things to 
to be and I surrendered to letting the truth be out. Yeah. First of all, my friends and family, their eyes were open to how yeah. difficult it is. And once I let them just see and, and really experience it, it gave them much more empathy and yeah. much, we got much more support once yeah. they were able to see. And, and interestingly enough, we once had a visit, a home visit from our regional center coordinator and Wyatt had one of the most massive tantrums at the time that he's ever had. Well, let me tell you, that opened her eyes to the right. kind of support we needed in the home for behavior therapy. Now, uh, can we talk about siblings yeah. and and how, if you have a child with aggressive behaviors and self-injurious behaviors, how that might affect the sibling and, and what parents can do to help the siblings? Right, and, and a lot of that depends on age, depends on order um, of where they are in the family. Are they older, are they younger, are they in the middle? Um, but you're right, I mean, it has a direct, you know, in, in, in significant impact on siblings when, you, you know, you have another sibling that hits for no reason or, you know, at, attacks themselves for no reason. It makes it very difficult to be able to explain this. However, you know, it, it's similar, similar to what we've talked about in the past. It's about education and it's about constant communication about what's going on. Letting the child know, um, you know, as they're, as the parents are becoming more educated, educating the siblings as well. Well, he's doing it because of this. This is what frustrates him. So let's work as a family to do this, you know, following the behavior intervention plan. Give him more of this or, um, you know, uh, remove, remove, you know, uh, some stressors or whatever it may be, um, but doing it in a way that the sibling feels a part of the unit. They feel a, they're not isolated. They're not um, just trying to survive. They're not just trying to protect themselves, that they're part of the solution as well. Now, on a parent end, we want to make sure that the child, of course, is is safe and, and um, you know, is, is not in harm's way. And we want to do that by giving them not only physical protection by you know keeping them apart if needed, but giving them more education, giving them more ideas of what to do, what are the triggers, what to avoid, how to how to consecrate, how to talk, you know, and, and give them kind of a blueprint of what we want them to do and how they should respond when when their sibling um, you know uh, escalates, either it be with self-injurious behavior or aggressive behaviors. Give them tools, give them strategies as well that will be successful. And we're almost out of time here, Vince, but can you talk a little bit about the effect this can have on a marriage? I mean, we know it's hard to stay married no matter what, and then it's hard to stay married when you've got a kid with special needs because there are extra considerations. And then when you throw violence in um, and self-injurious behavior, it can really eat at a marriage. Yeah, in, 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 you know, it's just another stressor, right? I mean, there's already a ton of stressors on it, and, and we know that marriages inside, you know, our special needs community is is very difficult to maintain. And, and this is another reason why we're trying to expand our services and reach out and, and give as much services to support families, because in situations like this, Again, I can't emphasize enough, it is essential that, that the parents are on the same page with each other. They can't be fighting with each other as well as trying to fight um, with their child. They have to be unified. They have to give each other breaks. They have to be able to back one another um, when a decision is made. They have to be able to support one another when um, an aggressive episode is happening. So 
um, you know, it's kind of a call, to, in my eyes, it's a, a call to arms. We need the families, you know, in best of their abilities is to work together on making this, um, you know, better in their family by using, you know, again, both being actively engaging in their resources, both actively being educated on what to do. And so each of them can do what they need to do when they're both present. Yeah, and I will say one of, uh, one of the most important things that I learned internally when we were going through this with Jem is that y it's okay, you still love your child if you say it's not okay for me to be hit. Right. That was right. hard for me because yes. I thought, well, if I love him and I know he's going through this difficult thing, then I shouldn't have an mm -hmm. emotional reaction mm -hmm. to being hit by him. But that's not the reality. Right, not the reality. No. Yeah. So, well, Vince, I think you've given us some great uh, coping strategies here. And I think the most important thing that you've emphasized is you're not alone. Don't be ashamed. Seek help. Yes. Be yes. honest. Perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Vince, we appreciate you so much. We look forward to talking to you again next month. Yes. And uh, may we get to those travel tips. Yes, maybe we'll get to those <laughs> next month. All right. Thank you okay, so thanks, much, Vince. Vince. All right. Thank All right. Ladies, have a great rest of the week. You Thanks, too, Vets. Bye-bye. And um, our next guests are actually, it's it just flows right into this topic. They are uh, parents um, of a child with autism, and they have actually uh, built a ministry at their church, and they're having an outreach fair, and um, they're going to be sharing some of their journey mm -hmm. and ways that they're reaching out to others to give comfort and hope. Support. Support. It's so important. Yeah. So we're going to come right back with Olga and James Panetta. Stick with us. My name is Rachel, my son is Kyle, he has autism. I am Kyle, I am nine years old. He's been with CARD since he was two years old, so that's about seven years. We've been really fortunate that we've seen so much change in Kyle that you would really not even realize he has autism. The front of the book has an artwork piece. Is that me? No, that's a self-portrait, that's why. I thought so. Look at you're wearing the same kind of color shirt. He had been going along with pretty main milestones. He had walked on time, he had sat on time, he was looking at me at different things and laugh, and he had about five words, and then all of a sudden he lost the words. And I would call his name, and he wouldn't look at me anymore. He all of a sudden went into his own world. I mean, I just, I just noticed, like, he slipped away from us. I got into UCLA because somebody called in sick one day and we were on her waiting list but she said oh I had a cancellation can you bring your son in today. I took my son in with my mom and we had a two and a half hour appointment where they observed his behavior, noticed they didn't have any words, he was climbing all over things and jumping off her furniture because he had no sense of fear. He couldn't actually feel very much. The doctor told me, ask for a card, you can call them. I called them and got on their waiting list. And then I started researching what ABA was. ABA with card was the only scientific-based research that had shown that children could improve, or now they even say recover. And my son, I think, having all this therapy early, he's 
going to graduate from CARD. He's going to be able to be part of the community as a typical kid. How does it make you feel when you play the violin? It makes me a little bit calmer. Kyle, early on, he only liked um, baby food. And even at age four, he was eating baby food. And he, wouldn't, he, he liked lots of flavors, but he didn't like anything with the texture. So he, he wanted everything pureed. So if you can imagine as a mom, I'm up, you know, cooking carrots and then pureeing them when he couldn't just have a carrot, it was really time consuming and I could get the protein and everything into him, but he wasn't eating like a typical child. It was one year later, he, instead of eating blended bananas, he was now, you know, peeling the banana and biting into the banana. Taking a hot dog on a gluten-free bun and biting into it, I mean, that is just amazing. So that was one of the main things I came home thinking, wow, this is great. It really was a relief for me because I was doing a lot of blending. I think I went through three blenders and that's just not every mom that wants to have a regular meal and be able to have in the same food with their son. So it really helped. Right now he's on the road to recovery, we call it. And I really do think that Kyle in a, in a year or two will not even need assistance with therapists. He really is in a typical class, and he's at the highest level. He's in the advanced level. He's in a gate class. I don't even think anyone knows in his class he has autism because he's just there. This is a mobile. I got a very good grade on it. I got four because my teacher said that she learned a lot about Neil Armstrong. This is a drawing of Neil's first footprint on the moon. Is his footprint still there? Yeah, it is, and his boots. And his boots. He left his boots on the moon. He did. Everyone thinks he's very kind, and he gives hugs to everyone, so the social interaction is there. He's very intelligent. He's highest in his class, and he makes friends, and he loves to read, and he's just a part of groups when he meets people. My first trip to SeaWorld, I wrote it, but I wanted to make sure that you noticed that the sun is moving higher. What does that signify? That signifies that time is going. This is artwork in a frame. That took me a lot of work to do. I have some instruments over here. Something inspired me to make instruments. This was from last year for a fundraiser. This is the surfing pictures. So here you're going on the surfboard, and did you stand up right away? Yeah, I did. You did. And show us how you your stands on the surfboard. Ready? Go. And what do you, what's your favorite part about surfing? The very first time I loved the wipeout. And I hope that you enjoyed me, Mom, and all of my interests and learning a little bit about me. The end.
Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We had a question that came in after we said goodbye to Vince, and I just want to address it. Somebody wrote it in and said, what do you do about a 19-year-old who is violent and destroys property? Uh, you know, in a lot of cases, it's the same thing. You've got to get some help, right? Uh, but depending on where you live, that help is going to come in a different form. And what I'd love to have you do is write back in and give us an email address. We can put you in touch with Vince Redmond, and you can talk with him about where you are, and we can see what resources because we don't ever just want to let a situation like that go. So do me a favor, write back in, and we'll hook you up with some resources that are close to you. Okay. Okay. And now on to our next guest. We are now joined by Olga and James Pineda from Faith and Hope Ministry that is in Montebello, California, which is a suburb in East Los Angeles. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. And this is just a, a great day to have you on because you, as parents of a, of a son with autism, what's your son's name? Anakin. Anakin. Yes. Um, have decided, uh, decided to reach out to give other support and started a ministry at your church called yes. Faith and Hope. Yes. And tell us what that means, Faith and Hope. Why did you decide to call it that? Uh, I'll, I'll answer that question. Um, we decided to, to name our ministry Faith and Hope mostly because we based it on a, on a verse that was very close to us. It was Hebrews 11.1 1, and, and that just basically says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And, mm -hmm. and the reason why we thought of unseen was because we feel like a lot of these children, and especially our own, even our own son, are, are unseen in society. We don't see them. A lot of people don't take the time to get to know them. Um, a lot of parents, unfortunately, don't have the faith when they get a diagnosis or when they have a child of, of finding hope. So we figured what perfect way to name this faith and hope, to have faith and hope in things that maybe you won't see them now, but in the future, the Lord can provide you with that hope to, to just keep pushing forward, to give your child a, a future and hope and, and to know that everything's going to be okay. So this is one of those support systems that we've been talking about. Yeah. And, and there are they are out there in the community. Now, I just want to point out, as you just told Shannon and me, James... <laughs> And became Anakin's father. Tell us about that. Correct. Um, Anakin was diagnosed when he was 22 months old, so about to be two, and it was very uh, difficult. I remember um, sitting outside the regional center crying for almost an hour and a half with my son in the back seat, not knowing what to do after I got the diagnosis of autism. And well, sure enough, uh, just as even we were speaking, I was hearing Vince speak that, you know, autism itself causes a lot of. Um, distress upon a marriage and that was the case in our situation. My uh, Anakin's father was, it was hard for him to take in Anakin's diagnosis and therefore he went about and lived his own life, left Anakin and I. So um, years down the road I met James at Anakin's school so it was amazing how the Lord just put puzzle pieces together and here we are now. He's Anakin's father. He's everything that a father can be and more. And you're expecting another child. Yes, we are. We're Congratulations. Thank you. And as thank Shannon you so said, much. you're the stand-up guy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we want to really, we thank really want to salute guys like you oh, because you. Um, 
they're out there and it takes a lot and we just we appreciate you so much thank for you so much and our so viewers supportive. need to hear this because i think there are many first of all there are many people that are home and they're having strife and it's important for all of us wives to remember to thank the husbands who stay because mm -hmm. there are husbands who don't stay mm -hmm. and there are wives who don't stay there are wives who don't stay too so we need to appreciate when somebody is staying even though it's difficult right but there are many people who have been in the circumstance that you have been in where they've been on their own and Sometimes we, we hear those stories of, and that's all it will ever be, right? And here's a perfect example of you, you found somebody really incredible, a stand-up guy who not only, uh, you know, said, yes, I want to be a part of this, but now you're working on something together to change the lives of the people in your community. Correct. So you oh, have sorry. this ministry, and I want to talk about your, you know, your short-term goal and your long-term goal, because you do have this event coming up, which is yes. a resource fair. Mm -hmm. And so tell us about your goals with, with this ministry. Okay. Our short-term goal, of course, as we were planning this ministry, and it's been, of course, so close to our heart because of our son, but also just in itself, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, Nancy, that being at church, having a special needs ministry, not only are we seeing more children who have autism come through our doors, but also these mothers are just so distraught and looking for help. And as they come through these doors, you know, we ask, you know, what services are you receiving? You know, is there what does your child like? What does your child not like? What can we do to help your child, you know, sit and have fun in class while you enjoy the service? And they sit and they say, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know what services are offered. You know, mm. I have no services at home. And that's where our hearts break because mm -hmm. uh, we see all these families who have, there's resources available for them, but they just are not aware. So our goal is to um, empower and educate these families to reach out and come and also be informed of all the resources available to them. So you're doing more than just giving them faith and hope. You're actually giving them really um, some resources that are practical as well, which is great. Really and, incredible. And let's talk about the resource fair for a minute. It is not this Saturday. I don't even know what day it is. There, Emily has put it up. It is on Saturday, July 19th in Montebello, which is a suburb in East Los Angeles. And what are you going to have there? Yes, it's in Montebello, uh, hosted, presented by Calvary Chapel Montebello. And what we will be having is resource tables, of course, with different organizations that provide different services to children who have autism as well as different activities for the children. One thing that we just have felt so strongly is there's not a lot of places where these children can come and enjoy themselves without being stared down, without other people, you know, criticizing, not allowing them to do certain things. So what we want to do is just love upon these children and let them come in and have a good time, you know. And it's true, you have parents, you know, oh, no, 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 don't do this, don't do that, you know, in a in a community or location where we all understand each other. And that's what our goal is for the children to come ha have fun. We're gonna have petting zoo, sensory areas, a puppet show, entertainment. So this is all just for the community, for everyone to come on out and get informed and have a great day with people that understand what they're going through as well. Now you've talked a little bit about your short-term goals. I'm curious mm -hmm. as to what your long-term goals are. Our long-term goals is to basically um, evolve this into an acceptance and, and empowering and awareness of just 
families that have special needs in general. So not just autism, you know, moving into, you know, mm -hmm. different areas of special needs and just knowing that there is a is a place where they, they can get support, where they understand, where people understand and that there are resources available to, to other family members because even in our own special needs ministry, we've realized that, you know, there's an influx of kids have come and they all have different types of special needs and that is what we want. We want acceptance. We want people to understand that these, that these families and these children are, are wonderful, beautiful beings that, you know, can teach us more about life than, than anything. And, and that's actually what I wanted to comment on was that Anakin um, has taught me more about life than I could have ever learned in my short amount of life that I've learned so far. And, you know, without him, I probably would have never have learned the patience that I have in my life for these children and just the love that they can truly give. And um, one of the, the biggest things that these children have is innocence. And that innocence is a beautiful thing that this world so, you know, it takes it away so quickly. And yes. for them to hold on to that is it's just an amazing thing and teaches us so many things. Yeah. And and we want everybody to know that it's, that's in the Los Angeles area that we'll have this information on the Facebook, Facebook. page. Mm -hmm. And also, I, I want to um, also remind people that I have a ministry at my church in awesome. the San Fernando Valley mm -hmm. called the Exceptional Families Ministry. We start back up in September. Mm -hmm. And I imagine all around the country there are other ministries like this cropping up because we do have so many special needs children and one of the things that we offer that it sounds like you offer as well is that non-judgment mm -hmm. uh, when we go into the the chapel and we worship it doesn't matter if your child's running around mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if your child's uh, making some noises it we are accepting of that and we yes. want all parents to feel welcome and mm -hmm. I know you do as well yes. so please go on the Facebook page and you can reach out to me if you're interested in learning more about my ministry because we're very open to having more people coming into this yes. um, so <laughs> tell us Anakin what are your hopes and dreams for him oh. Anakin has well when he was first diagnosed he was diagnosed with severe autism okay. and it was um, crying screaming kicking I remember vividly being at Walmart and him just crashing down the shampoo aisles and we were in a river of shampoo and body wash and I was alone I couldn't even pick up Anakin, you know, and there I was, you know, I started getting watery, people just walking by, and this woman just came and said, you know, you're an amazing mom, tapped me on the shoulder, mm -hmm. and she said, how can I help you? And we both, she grabbed his legs, I said, I just need to get out, I left my cart, I left Walmart, and um, she said, you know, okay, I'll hold his legs, you hold his arms, so we're going. And there he was screaming, you know, but uh, we made it out, and here he is now, able to speak to us, able to communicate. He's come such a long way, working on, uh, of course, mainstreaming as well, mm -hmm. and he's multiplication. He's the best whiz with um, mathematics in his classroom, and he's an awesome boy. He says he wants to be a, a producer, so, I mean, that would be amazing. He yes, told it us would. the other day. A couple of years, we got an intern, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He'd actually fall in love with the, the screen room oh, if he was in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't wait till he's older. You can bring, yeah, bring him anytime him and we can, oh, great. Uh, Thank you. can see what Thank this is you. like. Yeah. It's important for them Emily to Emily will show him things. how all the bells and whistles yeah, work absolutely. out there. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. So, and see how far he's come because of your love and acceptance and your support of one another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, things can turn around. Yes. And I think faith and hope. Shannon and I often say hope is our four-letter word. And um, I think the message to Day for every parent out there is things may seem bleak, but 
things do get better. Exactly. Yes, mm -hmm. Well, we thank you so much for being here. We're looking forward to this event on the 19th. Saturday, will, July 19th. We will have the flyer on our Facebook page. Calvary uh, Chapel in Montebello. Yes. Okay. And also, just to give a quick uh, bit, we also have a uh, autist called uh, Calvary Chapel Crusaders Support Group, and we meet at Calvary Chapel Montebello, and okay. that is not only for children who have autism, it's also any special needs, okay. Down syndrome. We have different uh, di diagnosis in there, but we just meet on the last Thursday of every month at Calvary Chapel Montebello, and okay. we bring our children in and just share with one another what's going on in their lives support one another and just love one another so sometimes you just need that time to vent and absolutely. just to get parents to understand you and you know and just to speak what what's on your heart yeah to feel mm -hmm. that you have that support we all need to hold hands in this that's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing and i Great, hope it's you. inspirational to everybody because before you started this it didn't exist and now it does really amazing well thank you're an you. inspiration to all of us thank you for being here oh, thank, you. thank you thank you for, for having us, us. thank you we're going to take a break and then we're going to be back to close out the show stick with us when you find out you're having a boy you always think like oh he's gonna play football he's gonna do this and that and then when he's diagnosed all those things get washed away it's like that piece that's always in the back of your mind you know where is he what is he doing is he safe we really didn't know what we were dealing with i wish that they could have directed me a little bit more and provided me some information i was a young mom i didn't know what it was like to raise a boy despite a boy with autism hundreds of thousands of families are not getting the help they need for their children with autism all around the country act today is determined to bridge the gap these families really have to go through a lot to get a grant. The application process isn't easy. The records, the diagnosis proof, they're really battling for their kids. So when we can give them a grant, it is so wonderful to see that they succeed in getting that help for their children. Our founder, Dr. Doreen Grandpichet, is an amazing woman, and she is one of the world's foremost authority on behavior of children with autism. She's extremely knowledgeable, and she oversees every single grant we give. She is part of that process. People may think of autism care and treatment as simply schooling or therapy, but you know, we provide important safety supports, things like fencing, for example. The whole family's living in fear of that child running out into traffic. I recently delivered an iPad to a little boy with some of the apps that are out there for children with autism. Miracles happen. I got the iPad from ACT. From ACT, What yeah. did it say? Can you repeat that, Dustin? I got the iPad from that. We have helped so many military families. And when I think of these brave families that are fighting two battles, one to protect our country and one for the right treatment and care for their children, it, it breaks my heart. And I think we have to do more as a nation to help them. There's not a day that doesn't go by that we don't think about it. Some people say, oh, he's normal. You don't see the battles that I see every single day. My husband does have to deploy, and when they get on that bus, that might be the last time that my kids ever see them. So I called, and they informed me that he had received the grant, which was like a blessing from above. I was just like speechless. I just started to cry because, you know, without it, we would, we would have been lost. The ACT grant was a total miracle. Without that, 
they wouldn't be able to receive a service dog. So we're so appreciative what they've done for us as a family. Recently, Act Today funded a program for military children with autism in San Diego, the Inclusion Films program, which is run by Joey Travolta, and teaches uh, kids on the autism spectrum literal filmmaking skills. They learn how to make a movie. Are we ready? There you go, got it. Okay. Everything that goes into the process of making a film goes into everyday life. So they're learning life skills, they're learning to collaborate. It was really nice to know how much they were enjoying this camp and they're with people who are supporting them and are making them feel great about themselves and their differences and their similarities. And I get two kids that are working together and apart and together and apart, so it's an interrelationship as well as a camp and a learning experience. It's so fulfilling when I get letters. One stands out for me, a, a boy who was 14 with Asperger's, and we gave him a grant to go to a drama camp. He wrote to us and said, Dear Act Today, thank you for letting me belong for the first time in my life. These kids are remarkable. You know, we underestimate them. They're so knowledgeable, they're so capable, and we can change the life of a family, which means changing the life of a community. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We had a couple of uh, comments that came in. Uh, first one, somebody wants to know, what can you do when the parents disagree about placing a 19-year-old in a group home due to violent behavior? Mm. And this is one of those things mm. that when we were talking about how difficult it is in a marriage, uh, it's these kinds of things that rip it right to the core because you have fear and emotion and people's expectations and, you know, not being on that same page, that's exactly what Vince was talking about, that it's so essential that you get some help on board and that you get some help for the two parents to get on the same page. And you're going to need a third person to do that. If you think, oh, we're just going to sit down and sort it out together, you know, I bless you, but I don't know any couple that can do that. You need to have somebody who's a third person who can outline, Definitely. you know, here's what's important to us values as a couple and sort through those difficult things. Right. And, and once again, uh, I don't think you're alone uh, facing this situation. I, I imagine there are legions of families out there facing the same sort of thing, you know, especially as a child on the spectrum um, is getting older, yes. where they are going to be living and how they're going to be cared for. And the um, emotions that people have about if right. you put your child into a group situation yes. or into something that's more institutional, the emotions that come up, you need to get some counseling and support. Again, if you'll give me your number, I will, or you're not your number, you're any information, email, um, I'll help to hook you up uh, with Vince so that he can talk to you about resources in your area but it's not the kind of thing on either front that you can let go yeah. if you say well we're having violent behavior with a 19 year old and we hope it's going to sort out there's no to. evidence to show that that ever mm -hmm. is and it in fact it no. usually escalates yes. then the police get involved mm -hmm. uh, when they're 19 years old and then you have no control whatsoever right. to what happens so please if you're still listening to us uh, make sure that you get some help and if you want some help from us we need uh, personal information now another person earlier we had dr. Grandpa Shea on another person wrote 
wrote and said, just some feedback on a question. My two, my son too is receiving ABA through CARD and also likes to fill the air with sound. And the suggestions that Dr. Doreen gave was right on track with what my BCBA is doing, a timer, and having them work towards mm -hmm. having that quiet. sound, that yeah, quiet time. We do that with Wyatt. And they said it works well, and I see progress. Well wishes to that parent who yeah. wrote that in, and thank you for yeah. the great advice. Works well with a 12-year-old, too, and a 2-year-old. Yes. Yeah, I Wyatt's mean, a silly sounder. Well, <laughs> and and we, you know, sometimes we get so overwhelmed with those kinds of yes. things. We think it's never it's never going to be any different than it is now because you start with an intervention, and the first thing doesn't work. And, and it feels like, to me as a parent, oh, no, this is the rest of our lives. But we never give up, and that there are always different things that we can try to figure out what to do and we can work on it in small increments and that's really when you see the progress when we take it apart in small increments so thank you for writing that and i think that will help that parent to know okay you know i'm not giving up it's it, it's going to get better okay. and then uh we wanted to take just a couple of seconds here at the end of the show that you and i spent uh, a good part portion of fourth of july together yes. with our kids yeah it was great and uh and i i wanted to tell i told you this uh, the other day i want to tell a little <laughs> funny story that after we left and we had a really good time we, it, was it was great really fun yeah really fun and we went to a church near you that had a water day yeah it was called yeah, soak Ch fest church on the rock what was uh, church on the way church on the way and it was a free event with uh, and we stayed there for a little while it yeah. wasn't quite you know working out the way we thought yeah, it was, with the kids. was over with the with the toddlers with the well, wedding and my son i allowed him to bring a water squirter gun which i never do but i did because he really wanted it, and then he obsessed on it mm -hmm. so what i loved <laughs> was that at a certain point you know you said i don't know how this is well this is working out so we took the boys back to our house to go to our community association pool and, and they, they swam had, had a great time swimming and then we put them in the cars and we went off to the fireworks and that that was its own little nightmare getting uh parking for the uh but you know whatever and, and we then, ended up in a parking lot with our chairs lot. thank goodness that yes. jim your husband had nice chairs to sit in and, you know and it all worked out and we we had some nice snackies and then we were driving home uh when we were all done and i was saying to my husband i said you know what i really love about nancy that she's just so go with the flow when something doesn't work out nancy just is like it's not working out Let's go on to the next thing, and she doesn't get all emotionally I wish, attached. You know to what? It. I don't know if my husband feels that way about me, but well, you know, I'm glad I, you do. You know, and that Nancy's <laughs> in the moment, and she just, you know, she doesn't get all fatutsed about things. She just goes with the flow. And I'm telling my husband this, and my son's in the back seat on his phone, and I forget that his ears are always listening. Always. I forget that his receptive language is stronger uh, than I realize. And he goes, um, you know, mom, about that. Um, you could stand to be more like that. Because uh, when I said about, you know, she doesn't get all upset when things don't go a certain that way. She just goes with the flow. That's says, I just, I just uh, you could be more like that. And I said, yes, I could. I think that's why I like that about her so much is because I need to learn how to do that. He goes, yeah, things would be a lot better if you would just learn to be like that. Weren't mom. you proud to know that he has that kind of reasoning? That yes. He can, you know, Thrilled yeah. to hear that I should be more like you. I was so ecstatic about it, Nancy. <laughs> I was. I was. But, you know, it was one of those moments about yes yeah, yeah. uh okay. thank you for pointing that out to me Jim. He's yes and okay. i appreciated that all but i i wanted to make sure that uh you know we're out of time but okay. uh it was a lovely fourth of july and i do want to be more like it was a great fourth flow. of july uh we've got some amazing guests for you tomorrow in fact we have a young woman who's going to be on the show who is doing uh, a series of free cooking lessons for kids who are on the spectrum so we're going to be meeting with her and talking with that, that. Uh, other great guests we're out of time okay uh, we'll be so, back next week uh, week until then give your kiddos a hug from me and give yourselves a hug from me bye bye for now bye.